years, but probably uh, for most people, or most of us, I should say, worry kind of comes and goes. It often comes and goes with trials in our life. You find yourself facing a sickness, and maybe you find yourself saying, am I ever going to get better? Is this thing's ever going to change? You find yourself facing a, maybe a financial problem, and you say, hey, is it ever going to get better? And uh, so it kind of sometimes comes and goes with the challenges that we face. And then uh, the interesting thing is God gets us through these challenges, and then we face a new challenge, and sometimes we can find ourselves worrying in the midst of that challenge, and we should really say, well, God took care of me here, so he's going to take care of me there, but uh, we're human beings, and sometimes worry can be a challenge for us. No matter where you're at, let me give you a few thoughts. I want to give you a few thoughts from this passage that I find helpful. A quick Google search will give you some stats concerning worry. What percentage of Americans worry? The results of an annual poll conducted by the American Psychiatric Association show that 70% of U.S. adults say they feel anxious or extremely anxious about keeping themselves and or their families safe. Current, that's May of 2023, obvious in light of all that's going on in the Middle East and in the world in which we live, that number, my guess, is probably going up. 60% of adults are feeling daily stress and worry. The, the, the question was how many people worry daily. 60%, according to a new Gallup poll, daily stress and worry plague a majority of American adults, and as I said already, 60%. Someone asked this question, is it true that 90% of what we worry about never happens? Fortunately, research, researchers at Cornell University have given some fascinating insight into worry. They conducted a study that followed people over an extended time and discovered that 85% of what people worried about never happened. The average person, according to statistics, reported three to four testable worries per day. The result of whopping 91% of worries were false alarms and of the remaining 9% of worries that did come true, the outcome was better than expected about one-third of the time. Uh, sometimes, many times, the things we worry about doesn't happen. Many times we have what's called anticipatory anxiety, and we think that something's going to happen in a negative way, and it doesn't. I want to give you five characteristics this morning of worriers from our passage, all right? Five characteristics. I want to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive right in. Lord, we love you today. Thank you that you love us, and thank you that you take care of us. And Lord, often in the midst of the here and now, we can forget what you're doing, and we can forget, Lord, where we're ending up, and that's in heaven with you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts now. Lord, I recognize there's nothing I can do to help anybody. Lord, I know that you can. You have the words of life. So, Lord, I yield myself to you, and I pray you communicate truth through me to your people. I pray you'd be glorified and your people would be helped. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, I want you to see as we look at five characteristics of worriers, a worrier has a disobedient heart. A worrier has a disobedient heart. Verse number 25 of Matthew chapter number 6 the Bible says, "Take therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Be anxious about nothing. The verb there, to be worried about or be anxious about nothing, 
is a present verb, which means this should characterize our lives on a daily basis. It is also an imperative, which means it is a command, which means we uh, can tell from this passage of Scripture, God commands us not to worry. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, we know the passage, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We are to cast our care upon him. For he careth for us. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain you. In this section of scripture, there are actually three areas, uh, three, three times where God condemns this. Verse 25, we mentioned that. Uh, look at verse number 27. Which of you, by taking thought, talking about this idea of worrying, can add one cubit unto his stature? No one can. Look at verse number 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Verse number 34, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. It is a command of God. Now, the awesome thing about the commands of God is God doesn't give us a command that he hasn't given us the power or the ability to obey that command, Right? Paul said, I can do, through in the book of Philippians there, the church of Philippi, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And I think sometimes we, we justify what we might say besetting sins in our life. Well, the Bible says you lay aside every weight and the sin which easily besets us, and worry just happens to be my besetting sin. Sometimes we mask it with, well, it's important for us to be responsible, and it is. But there is a difference between being responsible and being anxious or worried about things in our lives. And so God gives us his grace, his divine enablement, which should help us in this matter of worry, in this matter of being anxious for nothing. And we've got to recognize that something that is a command of God, I think sometimes the problem is, we fail to realize that worry is a sin against God. You know, we think that, well, doing drugs and being immoral and taking the Lord's name in vain, right? These are the big ones. And sometimes, though, these inner spirit sins, we kind of justify. And the reality is God has provided for us so that we don't need to take thought to be anxious. And so, number one, I want us to see that it is a matter, really, of obedience or obeying the command of God. And so when we see that, it makes it a more serious situation. It causes us to say, hey, I don't want to disobey God. I don't want to disobey God in any way, in any shape or form. Number two, I want you to see this. A worrier has a divided allegiance. A worrier has a divided allegiance. Look at verse number 19 now. As we get a running start into this passage where it says, therefore, take no thought. Therefore, you have to see what it's there for. And so we go back up to verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. A lot of people are worrying, anxious, because things, treasures upon earth are really, really important. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt. Isn't that interesting? How the Lord gives us that, that analogy there. Hey, the things on earth are going to grow strangely dim, right? The things of earth are going to corrupt. 
Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, all right? Where thieves break through and steal, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Sometimes we get all about stuff. We get all about things. Verse 21, uh, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We start shifting as we look at priorities. Verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? One commentator said this concerning those verses. The greater thought in the context is if our priorities are wrong, our entire life will be affected. You see, if you're living for the here and now, of course you're going to struggle with this matter of worry. If we're living for the future, obviously our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Likewise, if our eyes are good, they will influence the entire way we live. The clearly implied thought is that we have had bet, we had better make sure that the spiritual eyes of our priorities are sound. If not, not only will our life now be impacted, but eternity will be affected as well. And then we read that verse in verse 24, no man can serve two masters. For either you hate the one and love the other, else he'll hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The word translated mammon has the idea of wealth or getting wealth. And Jesus said what? You cannot serve God and you cannot make money your God as well. You see, it's important. We live in a day where the pressure is to make money. By the way, you go back to our text here and you look at verse 31 again. Uh, you're, you, you, let's see here, verse, verse number 31. God says, don't worry about verse 31. What shall we eat or what shall we drink? You see, often our worry isn't just concerned with the necessities in life. Uh, Paul wrote to the church of Philippi again, my God shall supply all your needs. And it doesn't say all your greeds. You know, there are things that we need and there are things that we want. And if the things that we want become more important than they ought to, we're going to find ourselves anxious. We're going to find ourselves worrying about the things of this world. We've got to have a single mind and a single heart. Paul told the church at Colossae there, If you then, or since you are risen with Christ, set your what? Affection on things above and not on things of the earth. You see, we're strangers and pilgrims in this world. We're to be in this world, but not of this world. But it is easy for the things of this world, for the pleasures of this world, for the possessions of this world to consume us and to mess up our priorities. I know there are individuals that I've met, not here, of course, in years past, where parents did not want young people to go in the ministry be a pastor, an evangelist, or whatever, because they didn't want their young person to be poor. <laughs> By the way, can I say you this? Can I tell you this, parents? Your young people are not your young people. They're God's people. And God has given them to you to steward that you might take them and shoot them as an arrow to make a difference in the world in which we live. 
and parents are worried about kids making a lot of money. Now look, if God calls you to make a lot of money, praise the Lord. But use that money to further the cause of Jesus Christ. You can't take any of it with you. The richest of, of the rich, when they die, they'll not take any of it with them. And what often causes a problem with this matter of worry in our lives is we have a divided allegiance. We're trying to live comfortable. By the way, you're going to go to Ecuador if you want to go. It'll be an eye-opener for you. You'll find yourself complaining a lot less when you get back than you do now because we don't know how good we have it. You know every one of you is rich compared to the world's standard. And sometimes we can find ourselves complaining with the conveniences, uh, 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 with, with, with the luxuries of life when we have lots of the conveniences of life. There's a divided allegiance in somebody that has an issue when it comes to this matter of worry. Seek ye first, we'll see this in a minute, the kingdom of God. You see, our first, you love the Lord with all thy heart, and thy soul, right? Their mind and thy strength. Hey, God is number one. And uh, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. But unfortunately, the richly all things sometimes can take the place of God in individuals' lives and even in the place of Christians. Our allegiance, our loyalty, our love needs to be for God. I love the illustration. I've shared this before in a Reader's Digest, December 1981. A guy by the name of John Kenneth Galbraith was a noted economist in the early 1900s. This was put in the Reader's Digest in that year, not when the guy lived. Uh, he was called upon many dignitaries to help sort the economic market. He wrote the following story in his autobiography about his, house, his housekeeper. It had been a weary day. And I asked Emily, his housekeeper, to hold all telephone calls while I had a nap. Shortly thereafter, the phone rang. Lyndon Johnson was calling from the White House. Get me Ken Galbraith. This is Lyndon Johnson. He is sleeping, Mr. President. He said not to disturb him. Well, wake him up. I want to talk to him. No, the housekeeper said, Mr. President, I work for him, not you. When I called the president back, he could scarcely control his pleasure. Tell that woman that I want her here in the White House. <laughs> her loyalty was to one she worked for. Who's our loyalty? What's our loyalty about? What is the most important? What is driving us? What is our passion when we get up in the morning? Our passion ought to be for God. My heart crieth after thee, O God. And my passion then ought to be God. How can you use me in this world to further your cause? And if God's given you the wealth, Lord, how can I, you use me? And how can you use the wealth that you've given me to further your cause? A divided allegiance. Number three, as we look at our text here, a worrier has a diminished faith. A diminished faith. Look at verse number 30 of Matthew chapter number 6, verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field. Well, I wondered if the grass was going to take off yesterday and the day before and the day before that when it got real warm. 
I thought we were done, you know. Brother Fajoli was like, Pastor, you got to get that mower, the church mower, into the shop and get it all tuned up. And I was glad I hadn't put it in there yet because you never know. You know, the grass just keeps on growing, doesn't it? I mean, I don't mind the grass, but the weeds. I, I tell you, the weeds keep on growing too, and they grow taller than the grass grows. And when I cut it down, I hope my wife's not looking, and I hope I'm really cutting down a weed and not a flower. Anybody with me on that? I mean, anybody with me on that? I can't tell the difference between weeds and the flowers. And uh, I figure if it's pretty tall, it's got to be a weed because they grow pretty tall, but flowers probably do too. In any event, go back to verse 30. If God so clothe the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven shall he not much more clothe you now look at the next phrase O ye of little faith O ye that are characterized by a very weak belief or trust in me go to Matthew chapter 6 go over a few a few chapters here couple other times where we see this phrase one of them i'll hold till we get our next our fourth thought here matthew chapter number eight and verse number 26 a storm comes verse 24 and behold there arose a great tempest in the sea insomuch much that the that the ship was covered with the waves but he was asleep and his disciples came to him and awoke him saying lord save us we perish And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men said, What manner of is this, that the winds and the waves obey him? You see, they found themselves in a boat in a storm. Jesus is in the boat with them, and they find themselves looking at the storm around them, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, help us. In another account, it says, Carest thou not that we perish? Do you really care? Now, we need to remember this when it comes to this matter of faith and little faith. Faith isn't necessarily quantitative. You put it in a big box, and you see Brian Talbot's box is this big, and wow, Chrissy's box is twice the size, and put all that faith in. No, that's, that, it really has to do with, this, because the Bible says faith is a grain of mustard seed can move mountains. It's really about durative. It's really about believing God today and believing God tomorrow. And really, the reality is it's really about this, believing God in this trial and believing God in this next trial and believing God in this next trial. You see, that idea of exercising faith and the disciples found themselves in a storm and Jesus says, hey, you have little faith. The same remarks that he makes to an individual that's worrying about how they're going to things are going to work out in their lives. The other account is found in the gospel, same gospel of Matthew in chapter 14. You can turn there if you like. You're going to remember this here real quick. And by the way, before we fault him, I have to be honest and say I would not probably have done what he did. The Bible says that the, 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 uh, the disciples are on a ship, verse 24 of Matthew 14. And uh, the ships in the midst of the sea tossed with the waves. Fourth watch of the night, Jesus comes out. They see him, they're troubled. Jesus says, be of good cheer. Verse 27, it is I, be not afraid. Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Now, what would you have said on a boat in the storm? I would have said, Jesus, if it's you, can you get this boat to that shore real quick? I mean, real quick. 
Peter says, hey, if it's you, Lord, bid me come out. Call me out that I might walk on the water. Amazing. I mean, really, it's amazing uh, faith. And then we know the story. He gets his eyes off of Jesus, gets his eyes again on the storm, which is what often derails us when we get our eyes on the storm. And Jesus says in verse 31, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? See, a diminished faith. The Bible says in Romans 10, in verse 17, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. What do we need to do? We need to exercise faith or place our dependence on truth. Because in the storms of life, hey, they had already seen what Jesus could do. And had they said, hey, this is the same Jesus that did X, Y, and Z, I'm going to trust him in the storm. You see, if we get our eyes looking at the storm and the circumstances around us and the needs that we have and the bills and everything that seems to pile high, we're going to find ourselves in, in, in worry mode. <laughs> if we get our eyes and keep our eyes on the truth of the word of God and the promises of the word of God and stand on the promises of God, we're going to find ourselves trusting God and not worrying. John Wesley one day was walking with a troubled man who expressed his doubt as to the goodness of God. He said, I don't know what to do with all this worry and trouble. At the same moment, Wesley saw a cow looking over a stone wall. Do you know, asked Wesley, why that cow is looking over that wall? No, said the man who was worried. Wesley said, the cow is looking over the wall because she cannot see through it. This is what you must do with your wall of trouble look over it and avoid it you see it's where we focus our attention a worrier is a disobedient heart a divided allegiance a diminished faith let me give you two more thoughts here this morning number four a worrier has a defective memory look at verse number 26 i want to just call a phrase out of here behold the fowls of the air they sow not neither they reap nor gather into barns yet yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Verse 32, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. When the kids were little and we would drive different places, I commented just recently about this to somebody Stephen always could tell if we were going the wrong way. He was two or three, and there were times when I would drive, and he'd say, hey, Daddy, Daddy, we're going the wrong There were times I'd make a wrong turn on purpose just to see if he said, hey, we're going the wrong way, and uh, he did. I mean, nine times, nine and a half out of times, ten times when I did it on purpose, he would call me out on it. But there were some times when he got concerned about where we were going, and, and I didn't say this in a mean way. But I'm thinking, you just sit there and you just relax. I got this. You know, little children don't seem to worry about all that much, right? Oh, to be a little kid again. <laughs> oh, mine are all moving into adulthood. And all of them in their own time are saying, you know, Dad, adulting is really 
hard. I don't know. They thought it was going to be easy or something. Maybe, maybe we made it look easy, honey. I don't know. Maybe we made it look easy. The little kids don't seem to have any words. Here's the deal. You and I have a heavenly father. You have a heavenly father that cares about you. You have a heavenly father that feeds the birds that you see out your window. You ever wonder about that? It's an amazing analogy you use. It really is. Your heavenly father loves you more than you can even imagine. The thoughts that he thinks toward us are thoughts of peace and not of evil. Hear me now to give you an expected end. Do you know God has good intended for you? You see, sometimes we think, hey, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go do my own thing and do what I want to do. And all we're going to do is make life harder on ourselves than it really needs to be because we've got a heavenly father that knows the needs that you have. God knows what's in your checkbook. God knows what's in your bank account. God knows what's going on in your body. God knows what's going on in your family. God knows the deepest burden of your heart that you bear right now. And he cares. He cares. Somebody wrote this song. Consider the lilies. They don't toil nor spin. There's not a king with more splendor than them. Consider the sparrows. They don't plant or sow. But they're fed by the master who watches them grow. We have a heavenly father above with eyes full of mercy and a heart full of love. He really cares when your head is bowed low. Consider the lilies and ye will know. There's a couple other stanzas when I'll take the time to read it. Don't forget about your heavenly father that knows all your needs, that knows all your cares. Check this out in Luke 12 and verse 7. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows even those details. And God says, fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. The other time where God talks about, and I'll just summarize for sake of time, uh, a little faith. He said to the disciples, he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They all got worried. What were they worried about? They were worried. He was talking about their teaching. They were worried that they didn't have any bread. You remember what Jesus said? He said, if you have a little faith, you remembered not the loaves. I see Jesus said, fed 5,000. Jesus said 4,000. Jesus wasn't worried about the loaves. The disciples forgot what Jesus could do. And sometimes in the midst of life we can forget that we have the best father in all the world. And he loves us more than anyone. And he cares about us. Sometimes he cares so much about us, he wants to grow us, he allows us to go through some difficulty. As a parent, you kind of want to protect your kid, but I'll tell you this, at some point they have to learn to fly. They have to learn to process life on their own. 
and you have to kind of go from a, I use the term, controlling parent to a guiding coach. Say, hey, because ultimately they have to make the choice. Number five, and we'll be finished. A worrier has a distracted focus. Verse 33 and 34, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Focus on what you're supposed to be doing for God. Do you know sometimes a worrier can get their eyes off of their responsibility and get their eyes on something else. For instance, I'm for having a clean house. But a mom can focus so much on everything being in its place that she forgets to connect with the child that God gave her and win that child's heart. You see, worry can distract us from what we're supposed to be doing as a Christian. Our biblical responsibility. You know, sometimes... I was out visiting the other day, and, and I've had bad experiences growing up, so you got to be patient with me when it comes to these dogs. i got to be patient with me. I mean, and I tell you, you go out knocking on doors, and just, just yesterday, two dogs came right at me. I'm like, whoa. There was, a, uh, there was an ambulance. We were over there near where the ambulance place was, somewhere in Exton there, and uh, this ambulance had a sirens and ambulance. And you're trying to get out. And I get out of the car, and here's two dogs. I'm like, whoa, you know. And so it's me and these two dogs in this ambulance, and I'm like, they ain't my dogs. You know, I'm trying to, you know, and I'm trying to, come here, boys. Come on, girls. I didn't know whether they were boys or girls or what. I was just trying to make a visit. I was happy they were friendly. And, of course, the owner comes out and starts yelling. I thought he was yelling at me. He's yelling at the dogs. And, and so I waved to him and waved to the ambulance. And then, you know, my heart was beating a little bit. I went to the door, and, uh, actually, someone was home. I think it was a teenager was home. In any event, what? Oh, oh, oh! I see. I got to figure out where I'm going. Telling the story. We have a responsibility to do what? To get the gospel to people. If I said to you today, you know what? I have a problem with dogs. I'm not going to make any more visits. Sorry. I think you'd be like, whoa! Hold on, just a second, Pastor. Uh, 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 we all need to be making visits. You need to be caring about. Don't you think you need to trust God with the dogs? And fulfill your responsibility? What is it that you have to trust God with so that you can fulfill your responsibility as a Christian in this world to make a difference for God? You see, worry, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Psalm 84 and verse number 11. The Bible says, The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Now hear this. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. No good thing. God made us a promise that if I will focus on walking uprightly and walking with God, if there's a good thing that I need in my life, God will guarantee that it's coming my way. That's what the word of God says. Worrying gets us distracted. I close with this illustration. December 29, 1972, Eastern Airlines Flight 401 was scheduled was a scheduled flight from New York, JFK to Miami. 
It was a Lockheed L1011. For those that like planes, it crashed into the Florida Everglades, causing 101 total fatalities. Three of the four cockpit crew members, two of the 10 flight attendants, and 96 of the 163 passengers were killed. 75 people survived. The crash occurred while the entire flight crew were preoccupied with a burnt-out landing gear indicator light. The captain bumped the, the control yoke on the aircraft, causing it to turn off the autopilot. Due to the focus on the landing gear and the minimal changes in the cockpit, the pilots didn't notice. Because of this, the aircraft gradually lost altitude and crashed. Because it's people in charge got distracted on something was more minor than flying an airplane. Seek first the kingdom of God. You say, Pastor, how do I know if I'm seeking first the kingdom of God? Did you read your Bible today? Did you read your Bible yesterday? Did you read your Bible Friday? You see, it starts with simply opening my Bible in the morning and saying, God, I want to be about you. Lord, we love you this morning.